Welcome to Living Chassidus. Together, let's live the Chassidus we learn. Okay. All right. Okay, guys. Welcome to the Living Chassidus Book Club. We're very excited. We're very excited to start it. I'm very excited about this book. My name is Ruta Cohen. I'm working for Living Chassidus this summer. And um, it's also the end of my birthday now. So before it goes, I want to give everyone a bracha that you should be happy and healthy and have open and revealed good and bracha and all the things in your life. So that's, I mean, I mean, yeah. So anyways, um, to start, this is the book that we're going to be reading in this book club. Yes, it's a very thick book. However, in the book club, we're only going to be um, touching the first part, which is the first 11 chapters. We totally recommend you read the entire book if you would like, but this book club is only touching the first 11 chapters. Um, so Michal first found this book and she read it and something clicked where she really felt like she needed to make a book club about this because this book is very unique. Um, it is a historical fiction novel that describes the story of three young men. First, they start out as teenagers, um, and then throughout the book, they get older and they have children, etc. cetera. Um, but it is a story of three different people, three different lives, and they all find themselves on their way down to Gullus because this book starts out in the time period of the first base of Mikdash of the kings of Yerushalayim. And um, during the end of the king's period, um, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Bavel, um, started taking over Israel and started slowly but surely taking more and more Jews captive and more and more Jews down to Gullus to Bavel. And like the book describes, like, just imagine, like, being in the center of the universe in Israel with a base Hamikdash where the Levium, you know, they heard the Levium songs and they would be Isla Regal every Yantif and they would, you know, bring Karbanes and they literally saw miracles worked in front of their eyes. And then to find themselves having to go in chains to Bavel, um, it's like such a, such a shift in mindset. So this book definitely goes through the entire first Gaulus period, and it does end in happiness in the building of the second base of Mikdash. Um, but it's very real. It's very realistic in the sense that you can relate to the characters and you can learn a lot about what it was like to be in the base of Mikdash. You can learn a lot about what it was like to um, be in such an amazing space. And also you can relate to what it's like to be in Gaulus you can compare it to our own Gullus that we're in now and the yearning for Mashiach that we all have. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful book to read during the three weeks because it really encapsulates like the, um, the energy and the feel of what we're supposed to feel now, but it's not heavy because it always ends with that hope and knowing that we are going to come out of Gullus into Mashiach. So just wanted to... I wrote some notes to prepare. Um, 
okay. Yeah, because the focus, the focus of the book is really, even though everyone's in Galas, the focus is the goal, which is Mashiach. Um, I don't think the author, so someone asked if the author is Lubavitch, I'm not sure. I have no way, <laughs> I have no way to know. Um, I don't think so. But, um, oh, so something that's really cool about this book is, you know, it's historical fiction. So you don't know, like, what's real true to history and what's real true to Tanakh and what's made up, you know, what's the story, you know, what's poetic license. So um, here in the first, in the beginning of the, in the beginning of the book, it actually gives you a list of all the characters, all the main characters in the story who are fictional and all the characters in the story who are actually brought from Navi. And in the back, actually, there are amazing sources that like every single time um, that there's like a, a quote from Navi, um, it really, you know, gives you the background and the history behind it in the back for extra reading. Um, the author is Zacharia Hoffman. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Very cool. Yeah, it's, it is very well researched. And I can tell you that they basically like within the story, there are conversations between the king of Yehuda, King Tzidkiah, and Yirmiyahu Navi, And the conversations are based on the psukim that we find in, in Yirmiyah in the book from Tanakh. Um, so one big theme that this, hey, how are you? One big theme that this book talks about um, is about going, like descending into Gaulus and talks a lot about, like Yirmiyah Hanavi speaks about, we go into Gaul, that the Jews are going into Gaulus because of their sins, because of their sins. And it sounds very heavy and very, like, very negative almost in a way. And like, that's how Yirmiyah was talking. Um, and that's the message that the Jews had to hear at that time. And something that we really have to note is that we really like, we have no concept of what it was like to live back then with those struggles. And we can't compare our, we can't put our own judgments of how our society is like and what we can handle nowadays onto the past um, because really they were greater people than us. Hey, welcome. Yeah. Um, so really like they were on such a high level and we really can't compare, but at the same time, we also have to realize that they were also human. And I just, if you don't mind, I want to read like a little excerpt from the introduction. It's short, I promise. Um, okay. So it's just one paragraph that I'm going to read to just encapsulate this whole idea of the fact that we we, ha we have no concept of what it was like back then, yet we can still relate to it. When we learn about these ancient times, we must keep in mind that today, thousands of years later, we simply have no concept of the true greatness of those generations. We do not even reach their toenails, as it says in Yomab 9b, and as the Gemara says in Shabbos, if the previous ones were angels, 
then we are mere men. If the previous ones were men, then we are like donkeys. We have no concept of their weaknesses, let alone their greatness. It would be most presumptuous to judge our forebears who lived when the Beis HaMikdash stood and merited feeling Hashem's presence in their midst. Um, so yeah, basically it's just, and I feel like this book really encapsulates that kind of balance where you get to hear, you get to relate to the characters, you get to relate to the generation. Yet at the same time, they're going through struggles that we don't even know, such as like, Avai Like back then, serving Avai was a really, really big deal. And it was a big taiva that people had back then. And yet we, you know, we can compare um, the sin of Avai We can kind of compare it to some things nowadays to Avai you know, the worship of money or the worship of physical things, et cetera but we still, we still can't grasp exactly what they went through because it was the struggle of the generation. It went on for generations and generations. Um, so that's pretty much something to keep in mind. Um, but we do know, so we do know that we went into Gullus because of our sins. Yes, that's true. But at the same time, Gullus is really a bigger picture for Hashem's plan. And Gullus, it's not like, the Jews really, I mean, they could have done something different, but this was Hashem's plan for us because Hashem said to Avram during the Brisbane Hapsarim that the Jews will go to Gullus, um, but it, it won't necessarily be something that will bring them down. It'll be something that has a higher purpose. And what is a higher purpose? Because we're, what are we here in this world to do? We're here to make this world a dear B'tachtainim for Hashem. And in order to do that, we need to go through Gullus and to elevate the sparks and connect Hashem from ourselves. Because um, when Hashem is revealed in the base of Mikdash, when we have all these miracles and we have all these amazing sights and wonders, it's so easy like to connect to Hashem. You know, it's so it it's almost like obviously you're going to do that. It's right in front of you. But really when during the first and second base of Mikdash, when it was almost like easier in a way to serve Hashem and the people were on a much higher level, so they had much higher struggles. Um, it was coming from the relationship between the Jewish people and Hashem was more of like Hashem showing his wonders and Hashem bringing the Jewish people close and the Jewish people, you know, answering in kind and serving Hashem. But at the end of the day, Hashem wants us to initiate that relationship. And Hashem wants us to serve him from a place that we, that it's coming from us. And the only way to do that is for Hashem to hide himself and for Hashem to like make it look like he's not with us when really, obviously he's here the whole time. But that's really what Gullus is. The point of Gullus is to bring us to a place where we don't have a basin of gush and we don't have the amazing, like, in open miracles that they had during the time of the Beis HaMikdash, but to come and serve Hashem from a place um, that comes from within ourselves. And that's something that every single Jew has the capability to do and that we're able to do. And, you know, Hasidus really teaches us the best ways to do this and reveals for, like reveals the ways that we can serve Hashem from a place of joy, can serve Hashem from a place where we can see godliness in the places that he's hidden. And this is really the ultimate goal of Mashiach, because when Mashiach comes, that's when Hashem will be revealed. And it's our job to reveal Hashem in this world. So that's pretty much the synopsis of what this um, 
book encapsulates for me and what I hope encapsulates for everybody. And yeah, I guess if anyone has like any questions or anything that they want to share or anything that they know about the time period of when the Jews went down to Dallas or um, thoughts on Mashiach, perhaps, if anyone wants to share. Sure. Yeah, sure. Oh, okay. That's a really good question, actually. I should, probably should have covered that in the beginning. Um, oh, thank you. I'm not a teacher, but <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Um, okay, so how is the format of this going to work? So we're going to meet every Monday. We're going to meet for three Mondays. Um, I split up the book into three, or the first part of the book into three. So we're going to be reading about four, three or four chapters every week. So this week, it's going to be chapters one through four. Um, the week after that, five to seven. And then the week after that, eight to 11. Um, and so what I hope is that when we meet on Monday, everyone will have read. We wanted to do it like over Shabbos, like over a weekend. So people have time to like, you know, read it in their own time. Um, so on Monday, hopefully, most people will have read the first four chapters. And then we want you to come with, like, your thoughts, what you felt, what you, like, how you thought different things were portrayed, different things. Obviously, I'm going to come with, you know, open-ended questions that, like, we can have a discussion about, you know. So that's, those are my hopes for this. Starting this Monday, yeah. Oh, wow, Mazel Tov. That's so nice. Yeah. What time is it? Eight o'clock? Yeah. At the Living Chassidah Center. Yeah. A few doors down. But, um, oh yeah, something else that I wanted to share about this book. It does, just like any other really, really good novel, it drops you right into the setting of what's taking place. And I was like, whoa, what's happening a little bit? So... For me, I felt like I needed a little bit of background about like the actual specific time period where the book starts so that like I could get a good sense of like what was happening. Obviously, I was able to catch catch up and, you know, the book definitely does a very good job of catching you up on the historical time. But I felt like for me, I really um, I really felt like I needed a little bit more background. And actually, if for whatever reason you feel like you need a lot any like background or whatever besides for the resources in the back with all the quotes from Tanakh um there is another section called it's on page 517 it's called historical overview and it gives you basically an entire background starting from when the Jews had their first king and then it tells you like, oh, our story actually begins here, you know? So it gives you an idea of like where you are in the story. So if you don't mind, I'm going to give a short synopsis of, you know, the historical background. Let me know if you have any questions or if you have anything to add. Like, I mean, I went to school so long ago where I learned Navi that, I don't know, maybe someone else like is currently learning Navi and remembers. But the basic history of the Jewish people in Israel is when the Jews entered Eretz Yisrael, um, with um, Yehoshua, um, they had a whole period with the Shaiftim, with the judges. They were, you know, living under, you know, sometimes of peace, sometimes of war, but they didn't have a king. There was no king until 
at a certain point, the Jews said, we need a king. We need to make ourselves a king. So Hashem sent Shaul HaMelech. He was crowned as king. He was the first king of the Jewish people. Um, and then after Shaul, there was David HaMelech. And then after David HaMelech was Shlaime HaMelech. And Shlaime HaMelech, really, he built the base of Mikdash. He turned Israel into the center of the world, basically. Everyone needed to come and see the base of Mikdash. Everyone needed to, you know, be part of it. So many people from all over the world wanted to come and be part of Shlaime HaMelech's court. So after Shlaime HaMelech, he had this huge renaissance, right? After that, his son, Rechavam, took over. But there was a lot of like political stuff happening at the time. It's okay. Oh. Okay, we're going to pause for a second and take care of the Zoom. One minute. All right, we're back. <laughs> Uh, thank you for waiting so patiently. Um, so what I was saying is that uh, just imagine Shlaime and Melech, like it was like the plate, the time and place to be during his king, during his kingdom. But when he passed away, his son Rehavim took over. There was a lot of politics. A lot of people didn't like Rehavim. And so this man named Yeravim Benavat decided he's going to be the king instead. And there was a whole war and there was a lot of politics and the nation split. So Yeravam actually took 10 tribes of the Jewish people and moved to to Shamron, to Samaria, or moved to the land of the other tribes that was not Yerushalayim and Yehuda. And he actually was so insecure about his kingdom that he didn't let the, peop the 10 Shvatim who lived in his territory didn't let them travel to Yerushalayim to be Ilo Regal, to give Karbanais, anything like that. And they were, they felt the Jewish people living in his kingdom felt so disconnected. They were like, what are we going to do? So actually, Yeravam set up two um, golden calves at different ends, one golden calf at each end of his kingdom near the exits, so that people who were technically traveling to trying to travel to Yerushalayim would be caught up with the service of the golden calf and not make it to Yerushalayim. And it was a whole, it, this was the start of when Avaidazara began coming into Eretz Yisrael and when the Jewish nation started having these like really big struggles on a nationwide level. And this actually started like the, kind of started the Gullus because while It, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to repeat what you said for the Zoom. That was amazing background. So Miriam actually gave some background saying that Avaidazar was always around. It was always a thing. But now it was like a government. It became a real thing because the government was supporting it. That's pretty much what it was. The government supported idol worship in Israel. And so that was the downward spiral from there. However, the Jews in, Yehud in Yehuda, in Yerushalayim, um, so those tribes were, I believe, Yehuda, Binyamin, and Shevet Levi. Obviously, like, because 
you know, Jewish people like to go everywhere and like marry each other, whatever. There were obviously people from different tribes who lived in different portions of Israel, but the main portions of the tribes were very split, like Yehuda, Benjamin, and Levi, and then the rest of the tribes in um, under Yeravim. So that this happened for generations, and the people who lived in the side of the ten tribes, their Yeras Hashem was going down, and eventually. Um, the king of Assyria came and like was able to conquer the land and took people into Gullus even back then, um, years, years, years before the rest of the the main part of the Jewish people went to Gullus. The king of Assyria conquered the land of the ten tribes, took a lot of them into Gullus, bit by bit, bit by bit. And what he actually did, and this is very interesting, he in, he saw that the when he took all the people into Gullus, the land was like empty. There was nothing there. And he's like, wait a minute, I'm letting all this land go to waste, but I don't want the Jews back in their land because then they're going to serve Hashem or try to, you know, get, they're going to try to rebel. So instead of putting the Jews back in their land to work the land, I'm going to put the Kuthim, the Kuthi tribes called the Samaritans actually to be, there instead and they're going to work the land for me so the king of ashur of assyria took the jews out of the land put non-jews in the land to work it and what happened was is that eretisral cannot handle um people in general serving by desire but even more so non-jewish people serving by desire and so therefore hashem sent lions to come attack all the people and because of that, the king realized like, oh, this land is holy. The people need to serve Hashem. So the king actually brought a kaihain to teach the Jews, I mean, to teach the Samaritans, Tyra, to try to get them to convert. So they kind of like half converted a little bit. And it worked a little bit, you know? They were able to stay in the land. They were able to work it. But now like, so now if you look at the picture of Israel, it's Yerushalayim with a bunch of Jews and then the rest of Israel with a bunch of non-Jews working the land. But they were also kind of, they said that they converted. So they were kind of openly practicing Judaism, but inside they really weren't practicing Judaism. They actually still kept their idols, um, which it mentions in this book. So that was most like good portion of Jews in Golis already. Then years later, more and more things started to go downhill. And then the king of Babylonia, um, Nebuchadnezzar, came and slowly but surely started taking over. And the, he actually appointed the kings. So they were kind of like government-appointed kings. They weren't righteous kings of Israel. They were like just political puppets, basically. And he was constantly changing the kings over. He put a king in, then he would take a bunch of people into Gaulus and take that king with him. Then he would appoint another king and then take another bunch of people into Gaulus from Yerushalayim. So this book actually starts when the king of Babel decides as a last, this is one of the last things that he's going to do. He takes a, pretty much all the smart people, all the Sanhedrin, all the Talmidei Chachamim, all the craftsmen, all the people who were of like more higher class who, living in Yerushalayim, 
He took them all to Gaulus with King Yehoiachin and in chains and just they all had this huge march down to Bavel. And that was like the last one of the last marches to Bavel that there were. There was one more after that with King Sitiahu, but um, this is where our story starts because um, the boys who are in this story, they find themselves captured and they um, they are on their way down to Bavel with King Yehoiachin. So that's where, that's the background. Anyways, welcome, Michal. <laughs> it's okay. Um, we can recap if you want, and then I'd love for you to share. Okay. <laughs> Does anyone have any questions or anything? Yes, he did. He was part of this group. Yes. Yes, that's this. So that's where this book starts. So the boys who are in this, they don't even, they don't know Mordecai. So for them, they know that they're with all the sages of the Sanhedrin. They know that they're with like the best of the best, the cream of the crop from Yushalayim. And it's so sad that everyone's going down to Bavel and but they don't know um so actually we're not going to get to the part of the Parm story in this book with the book club right now you're more it's in the book you're more than welcome to read about it if you want to touch upon that a little bit <laughs> so basically the book is about 500 pages it is absolutely incredible and i read it okay Here. um it is I'm not ready for spilling it. Okay. They can hear me, don't worry. So um, the book is about 500 pages and it is incredible. I was addicted. I was just like, at one point, my husband was like, what is up with you? Because I stayed up till three in the morning reading. It's just like, it, it's very engaging, very cap like captivating. Um, but our goal within the next three weeks is mainly to cover what happens in those, like the three weeks and like that, that period of history because we're not going to be able to cover it all the entire book. That said, if there's interest, I'm, I'm more than happy to like support continuing. Um, but right now we're focusing on like the first section. The book is split into three sections, right? Yeah. So it's three. So we're going to focus on the first section. And then the second section is actually where the firm story happens. And then there's a third section where there's like a rebuilding, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the, the short yeah. Um, I, he was, he was chosen by Nebuchadnezzar, actually. His name was Matanya before, and Nebuchadnezzar changed his name to Tzidkiyahu. Some of Farshan say that, um, Nebuchadnezzar changed the name to Tzidkiyahu to remind Matanya to be, um, to be loyal to, to Nebuchadnezzar, to be loyal to the king of Bavel. And some of Farshan say that Matanya changed his own name to Tzidkiyah to remind himself to be loyal to Hashem. And as actually, as you see in this book, he has a very hard time. He struggles. He really, really struggles. And at the end of the day, it's like, who, who do you listen to? And it's actually very interesting because this book touches upon the topic of false prophets. And like during that time, it was very confusing. Like this person is saying that they're a Navi and they're saying one thing. And that person is saying that they're a Navi and they're saying another thing that contradicts. And then another person, another person, another person. It's like, you don't even know who to believe anymore, you know? And there is a way to find out who is a true prophet. And, you know, the tire talk, talks about it. But when people are in this actual situation, it's actually very, very hard to know who's speaking the truth and who's not speaking the truth. 
And Tzidkiyahu actually struggles a lot with this because Yirmiyahu was Hanavi, was the Navi that was around during the time of Tzidkiyahu Melech. And Yirmiyahu is saying a lot of things about the destruction of the Beis Mikdash, that, oh, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And everyone's like, why are you being so negative? Like, why are you, like, it's never going to happen. Oh, they're never going to do that. It's never going to happen. Like, we're strong. We can do this. Like, and when you're living in the time and you, it's very hard to see what's really going on because you're living in it. So when you hear a Navi saying something that sounds like really crazy, you're like, what are you saying? Like, you're probably not even a real Navi, someone, you know? Someone about COVID before it happened. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, have, you have all these people telling you life is going to get better right now it's never going to be sick again and you have one person saying yeah exactly <laughs> so it's right. and that's like a very relatable topic i feel because like everyone in their own lives can figure out like what it means to them but it's i thought that was a very relatable topic for sure Kingdoms. So you, you specified that the kingdom of Esau was like the of the Yes, yes, they did. They did. Right. That's true. So I'm going to repeat for the Zoom what Miriam said. That's actually very important to note that later on in the generations, when more and more kings it wasn't only the kingdom of Yisrael with the 10 tribes that served the Vaidazara. Um, it was also the kingdom, kingdom of Yehuda that had this huge, huge of um, Yetzirah and Taiva for Vaidazara. And it was also coming from the government, coming from the kings. They were encouraging it. Um, it did happen a, a few generations later than the kingdom of Yisrael. The kingdom of Yehuda was a little bit more, I guess you could say, stable in the beginning. But towards the end, you know, they got, up <laughs> yeah, they're still human in the end, but I shared about Mashiach already, like about the, but to keep in mind that like we're human and it's just our job to elevate and make this place a, a place for Hashem. And that's what Hashem wants. Hashem wants us to go into Gala so that we can show Hashem we want to serve you. We want you to be our king. So that's pretty much what I have to share. Yeah. Yeah. Here, please take the mic. I'll just give a short. I'll give a short two cents. Um, okay. Okay. Um, thank you. So, for anyone who doesn't yet know me, I'm Michal Weiss. And I run, exactly. I run Living Chassidus. And this is the first time in a few years that we do a book club. And the reason why this got re-inspired is honestly because I'm a slight bookaholic. <laughs> and if I ever see a book that looks semi-interesting and I don't already have it, I just buy it and read it. It's so I, it's hard. <laughs> exactly. So that's what I'm saying. I, it's hard to find. But Baruch Hashem, I found this one a few months ago. And I being a bookaholic makes it really hard because then sometimes you have different standards but this book just blew me away as I said one time I just ended up staying till three in the morning and my poor husband's like are you normal <laughs> like you're a mother of four um but it was so good so one of the most amazing things that 
I personally enjoyed. And the reason why I'm, I, I was crazy enough to just, I literally just called one of our um, books, like sales people that gives us like that we I usually buy from. And I'm like, I just need to buy 20 of them. He's like, okay, what for? I'm like, I don't know, but people are going to read it. I'm going to make sure. So Baruch Hashem, this changed my life in many ways. One of them was that it gave me a really incredible appreciation for, I guess, not judging the past. I think, I think, in, I, I hate to admit it, but it's the truth. I think in the past, I'm like, how could they do what is art? Like, are you normal? <laughs> you know, like, and then the way that the book describes it, and it, it really changes, it changed my perspective. It's like, they had their challenges and they were so real, just like we have our challenges and they feel so real for us. And one of the things I admire the most about the book is that as much as they definitely struggle a little bit as are at different times throughout the book, they were insanely careful about Lashakara. Like they wouldn't even utter a word that like kind of maybe would have hinted at somebody else's, you know, and, and it, it really opened my eyes that not necessarily in our generation, we're so careful about these things. And we have our own struggles. We have our own things. And, and appreciating that what they felt back then is similar to what the Yitzhahara tells us and how we feel nowadays about our own personal struggles. Um, another piece which I want to give a heads up about is that some of the parts, some of the parts about the destruction of the English are rough. They're hard to read and they're, that was the night I stayed up till three. I'm like, I can't go to sleep like this. I'm like, I have to get that happy part of the story. Um, so they are, they are, and it really brought to light a, a deep appreciation and a yearning, a personal yearning for the base of Nikdash and a deep appreciation of what these three weeks are and what Tisha B'Av was. Like for me, my entire life has been like, okay, I'm again. And it's like, whether I'm pregnant or nursing. It's like, oh, I hate this. And like, I've always dreaded Tisha B'Av. I'm not saying I'm like, woohoo, let's pass. But, but I definitely have an appreciation for what actually happened. And like, it, I, I connected emotionally as if, in a certain sense, as if I lived there. And it really changed my whole perspective. I, I, I'd several times throughout the book, I just had to like for bring it out with my husband because it really, it shaped my relationship with Hashem. It shaped my relationship with the base of the It shaped my, my deep desire for Mashiach to come. And I, I just wanted to share that with people. I feel like I feel like it could really very deeply change us in like such a loving way. Like the way they speak about Hashem and they live with Hashem. And, and even when they're going through struggles, like they just have Hashem there to like, okay, this is hard, but like there's a promise. Hashem is going to take us out. And I feel like sometimes it's like, okay, Mashiach's coming, you know. Like it's been like so drilled at us that like we forget to live with it in such a passionate way. So Again, these are my personal things and how I gained. And this is why I'm crazy enough to start a whole new thing and get people engaged. And I really think, I really, I really hope and I thought that it'll do even more for you than what it did for me. And I, I'm reading it again with you guys. So I'm super pumped. So thank you so much for trusting us with your time and with your efforts. And, and yeah, Hi. Yeah. Any questions or comments or? Yay! <laughs> it's action packed. I will tell you. It just like yeah. starts, boom. Like you're just in the story and then just goes. It's it's so good. I always have a hard time when books are like, and in the beginning, I was born. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but here it's like, boom. Like you're, it opens right in the story.
So I'm super excited for everyone to start. Yes, I am. Oh, yes. I have it. You know, it's $100 on Amazon right now. What? Do you know that you have It's out of print. <laughs> Is it really? It's out of print. I literally, I saw it for $45. I'm like, oh, would I really? And I had it on my on my cart. And then... That's okay, so I'm going to get on that. that.